Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells Kant. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Welcome again to another episode of the See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. We're back. How are y'all this week? We always say how we are. How are y'all? Tell us. Tell me all about it. Tell me the tea. Tell me your work tea. Tell me your church tea. Tell me your friend group tea. All the tea. The tea you overheard at the supermarket. Oh, yes. The Especially Ulta tea. tea. The yeah. Target tea. The Chinese restaurant tea. Yeah. Our favorite kind is overheard tea. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's the best. But you normally have the best stories. Girl, and I got a good one. So, you know how when people choose to leave their employment, they give notice, they half-ass their two weeks, and then they leave? Yeah. Not at my job. Really? Last day. Homegirl's last day. And this is someone you work with. They gave their two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's probably a little context so they know. Yeah. So, gave her two weeks. Worked out her two weeks. You know. And I use the t- term work loosely as everyone does. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone. if you're on your way out, you're on your way out. Yeah, exactly right. Not judging, just saying. No. It is um, in the afternoon, sitting at my desk, working away, typing away, working away, focusing. Everybody in the office is working away, focusing. Next thing we know, her, I guess her and the manager have been talking amongst themselves, so nobody even heard what was said. Mm-hmm. She just loses her shit. What? Stands up screaming and yelling and ranting and Gen X here. Mm-hmm. I do this. I look over and then I proceed to do this. I put my head down and I just start working. Harder. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I'm still listening to every single word she's oh. saying. Oh, for sure. But I'm like, mm-mm, nope. I'm just going to keep on working. I'm not going to get involved in this. I, I'm not going to look directly at her either. What was she screaming about? Well, I can't say that. Right. Okay. But still, it's just like, why are you saying this at work kind of things? It's like, who does that? Uh, apparently you, her. I mean, if you're that disgruntled, you just quit your job and leave. You don't give it two weeks and... Yeah. You know, so... Just bounce. So then... The manager she was screaming at, I have to say, like, I'm going to give her props because she just sat there. Homegirl got done. She gets up, leaves the office, and I'm like, where is she going? Because she didn't say a word. She comes back a little bit later, maybe 10, 15-ish minutes, comes back, says, homegirl... Thank you for coming in the past couple of days and training. We really do appreciate it. But now we're going to need you to leave. (gasps) Wait, so the girl who's leaving says this to whom? Or the manager says this to her? The manager came back and said that to her. (gasps) So she basically said, look, we're going to need you to cut your two weeks short by like right now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Ho, ho. So, in the last three hours of your employment, you basically got fired. Yeah, which, wow. Sis. Sis. Although, maybe it was a calculated plan, because, you know, if they fire you versus you leaving, you can ask for unemployment. See what I'm saying? She already had another job she was starting the very next day. Ah. But still, like, girl, that's not how you, whatever. It was. Wow. Wow. So then I found out she immediately went to HR after she left. 
She left, immediately went to HR, and was screaming about how she hates the manager. Uh-oh. I hate her. Well, it doesn't matter if you hate her, you're about to leave anyways. Who cares? Who's Why do you care? Take, who's going to take you seriously yeah. after that? Who's going to go, oh, let me just file this complaint after you were literally quitting, and then they told you to leave after you just had this extreme outburst at work? I mean, I had a job that I had for several years, and I gave my two weeks notice. I actually didn't half-ass my job the last two weeks. And um, I had to do an exit interview on my last day. Mm-hmm. And um, I was completely honest in my exit interview as to why I was leaving because um, my immediate supervisor was, well, let's just say I could not work for her any longer. Yeah. And there was person after person after person who would quit and quit and quit and quit. For the exact same reasons. But I gave my exit interview and I worded it very professionally and I didn't go off and I didn't say, because she's a wretched bitch and blah, 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 you yeah. know? There's a way to do it. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of a finesse, a little diplomacy you're going to have to pull out yeah, you when have you do to, it. You, you can yeah. be professional and diplomatic as to why you're leaving when they need to know they have a toxic work environment manager yeah. yeah you know absolutely you so that ain't the way you're saying it's a it's a more of a honey than a vinegar situation <laughs> maybe don't scream on your last couple of days at work to where you then get yourself fired so pro tip don't do that <laughs> everybody or you know what if you hate your job that much if it is really that toxic then just quit that same day say hey look this isn't working out yeah i i, I gotta go and that's fine yeah hey it shit happens life happens you gotta do what's right for you I mean, yeah. yeah, it just that's just not the way to go. Because no, it will come back to bite you at some point. That's the one thing is if LinkedIn has let us know anything, it's all about the connections. And man, mm-hmm. the world is smaller than you think. Mm-hmm. So be very cautious if you do something like that. Yes, it doesn't matter if you change industries or professions or you know anything. You got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Because a job will go, mm-hmm. if you remove it from your resume, they'll go, mm-hmm. why is there a big gap there? Yep. Or, mm-hmm. how come this employer says you're not rehirable? Right. So, just be cautious. Use it when you need to. And also know the consequences if you do have to pull out the napalm, <laughs> you know, and go uh, scorched earth with something. But uh, yeah, that ain't the way to do it. Yeah. But let me tell you, oh, your man. fucking coworkers love that oh, shit. I bet that was like the bright spot of the day. Just kind of broke up the monotony. Like, oh, did you see what happened? What? Yeah, it was great. I immediately, once it was over, because like while it was happening, I don't want to make direct eye contact. Right. And I don't want to make any sudden movements because it's almost like. When you see, like, a bear in the woods, you're like, oh. Because <laughs> you don't want to be the one that's next. No. And you want them don't want them to notice you either. <laughs> you're just like. Right. So then it's all over with. And I'm immediately picking up my phone and texting my bestie, like, girl, you just missed it. You, your work bestie, too. Yeah. Which, you know, she knows all the context. Uh-huh. So she's like, oh, my God. Tell me everything. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I mean, so we have, um, you know how I love to give people, especially people and things, different names. Yes. So we have names for everybody at work. So if someone were to read over our shoulders, they would have no idea who um, Gloria is. Right. You know? Yeah. They'd be like, oh, Gloria, no more here. Okay. I don't care. Right. So then you can have conversations in your like work chat, Slack or Google, whatever, and then be able to like say things without corporate knowing, oh, this is who they're talking about. Right. Exactly. Right. So I was like, I immediately, I was like, I'm like snatching up my phone and I'm like, girl, you just missed it back here. (laughs) God, you have so much good things happen. 
I'm telling you, being work from home still, which now it's not, it's in, uh, until January, which I'm like, hell yeah. Um, it, there, I mean, I ain't got none of that drama. I mean, I can tell you what my cats do all day. I can't tell you how much I would love to be able to work from home. As much as like that shit was entertaining, it's also like nobody worked for like the next day and a half because we all had to continue to talk about it. Oh yeah, because then it's like the rumor mill and then everyone's distracted and then also it doesn't help you because you have like two people's jobs to do for some reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's great. not helpful. So yeah, I come in, so I've started the past two days. I, I come in extremely early and I'm as much as I'm like, this really fucking sucks. Another part of me is like, I'm not a morning person. I'm extremely tired, which makes me like a toddler who hasn't had a nap by 3 p.m. That time I get in the morning with nobody there, literally nobody else in the building and quiet. I'm like, I'm going to fucking do this every day. Yeah. Every day. I get it, but be careful. Don't burn yourself out either because you're working like way OT at this point. Yeah, I've never seen a paycheck with my name on it this big in my life, (laughs) which brings us back to what we talked about last week where I think I'm uber bougie and my husband's got to reel me back in. Yeah. He literally said to me the other day, he goes, how big of a raise do you think you got? (laughs) Because it ain't this much. Yeah. You're like, hey, okay, so I'll return the jet ski and the boat, okay? God. But they can't fill in the hole in the backyard where they're putting in the pool. Yeah, so you're welcome. We're getting a pool. Jeez, get off my ass. (laughs) Yeah, he was. He was like, um, how big of a raise do you think you got? I was like, did you see how big my paycheck was? He was like, that was for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Could you imagine what your life would be without him? Um, I would probably be fucking living with you because I'm financially irresponsible. <laughs> but girl, me too. I would be just as broke because I have a very similar pod hubby who's also like, um, make sure this is within our budget, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Credit card, I sure. A fucking voodoo. Doll. Incense holder? Yes. Off Instagram. Off Instagram. Because you needed it. Because it's going to center your chakra. I mean, let's be real. This is just to help. Don't worry about it. We all know that this is just for your general wellness. So you can put that as like a medical expense at this point. Just write it off. Send help. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Tell me. Oh my God. Instagram has gotten better at it too. I, From what I've heard... Instagram is trying to just make their app like a shopping app, which, I mean, shit. They're Um, leaning hard into it. Well, that explains why I just picked out the new um, watch band I want. Yep. I mean, they're definitely very effective at the shopping part of it. I'm actually kind of sad that that Instagram has become this, like, Frankenstein's monster of it trying to be TikTok with reels and you know, added stories and all this other fucking shit. It's like, guys, just let it be what it used to be back in the day, which was just mainly photos and more simple things because that's why we liked it. It's because it wasn't as cluttered and fucked up as Facebook. And then, you know, Facebook bought it and now it's just as cluttered and fucked up. Now, I do really like the reels because I get these random ones that I don't even know why they're popping up, but I really enjoy them. You like reels? I kind of, I'm kind of like, eh. I don't, see, here's the thing though. I like them because they just randomly pop up and I don't know the rhyme or reason, but, and I don't know why I need it in my life, but then I'm like, oh yeah, I needed that in my life. Okay. So and, they're, they're kind of doing, you like the FYP-ness of what Instagram's trying to do? Mm-hmm. See, I don't. I'd rather have like everybody I'm following, <laughs> and I know you can like switch back and forth now between like who you're following in the actual timeline mm-hmm. and then like the suggested post for you. But it's like, but why not save my setting as people I'm following and then allow me to switch over to the suggested for you. Right Now I do. It's because, you know, I like the little, 
mini um, food where they cook all the food yes. and the reels. Yeah. And that's how I found it. And then they just keep popping up. And then I got the mini pottery one. And then you're like, okay, now I'm hooked. So show me more of this. Yes, those make me happy. But it's not all the time. Like, if I wanted to watch video after video after video, I just go to TikTok. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and also, social. speaking of social media, we're on it. Obviously, we're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, um, and then obviously wherever you get your podcasts. We're also going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas, Texas in August. Yes, come see us. We are really excited about it. Do you have the dates for that, by the I way? believe it's the 27th and 28th. Yes, I believe so too. We will obviously be posting all about it and just making sure we let you guys know exactly where we are and when. But um, yeah, check it out. We're really excited to be a part of it. Um, It's our first little foray into uh, like a convention. So we're excited. Now you can't stalk us after that. And no, we're not going (laughs) to join your cults. And if one of those two things try to happen, then murder might be the answer. Well, but here's the thing. What kind of cult is it? Because if it's like a food cult, I'm in. Okay. If it's like we're eating food, not subtracting food. Or not going to be the food. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no. But if it's like, oh my God, we have a cult where we eat nothing but uh, fast food or food we find on Instagram. Or pasta. Mm -hmm. I'm like, sign my ass up Mm -hmm. immediately. Or or that that little um, kid chefs make on those little chef cooking shows. (sighs) I, mm mm-hmm. The one with like Gordon Ramsay. Oh yeah. Oh, I love it. I love seeing Gordon. Oh, like, Master help Chef him. Master Chef Junior. My boss was talking to me about that the other day, and I'm like, I need to watch that because I really like the um, kids baking championship with Duff and Valerie Bertinelli. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, they're bakers. They're little mini bakers. Ah, love. Uh, that. Love it. I love. I love cooking shows. I love baking shows. So yeah, I will have to check that one out. Um, and speaking of shows, we need to update people on. Under the Banner of Heaven. Oh my God, that show is one of the best shows on TV right Don't now. Don't spoiler alert I won't. it. I need I to won't. get caught up today because I was catching up on The Circle. Girl, you need to catch up. Holy crap, that is a phenomenal show. I know it was a book first and I apologize. No, I didn't read the book. I didn't know I didn't it was a know, book. I didn't know it was a book. Yeah, it's a book. Um, Send me the book, P.O. Box. What is it? 472. Stuff and Things. <laughs> if you're really gonna send me the book message us we'll let you know but no but seriously it's phenomenal have you finished candy yet or are you starting candy i haven't started candy yet because i wanted to, i was finishing um superstore okay now i need to finish under the banner of heaven yep then i can start candy because mm-hmm. in there i also had to finish the circle because the because cir- netflix did me dirty they put up a new season of The Circle, but then didn't put up all the episodes. They did like the half and half thing like they're doing with Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And like they did with the Ozark. Mm-hmm. So And I, they did with something else too. The, yeah, it's it's a very common thing now where they split the, the last season into like two parts. So you have to like wait for the last part. I know, it drives me insane. I'm like, just put them all up. Come on. Netflix, you, you have one job to let you me help. sit there you and know. watch a show from mm-hmm. start to finish or until I die. Pretty much. You taking that joy away from me, I will defect to solely Hulu. Oh, oh. And then you can use that subscription money for HBO. Like I keep telling you. It's been thrown, Netflix. Oh my God. Your move, Netflix. By the way, I started my application to be on The Circle. Oh, you did? I did. If you get on this show, if you get on this show... I got to send in a video and I was like, damn it, I need to make a video. And that's why I haven't finished my application. But you know what just hit me? I have how many videos? Oh, my God. Like 50 at least of yourself. Yeah, you can have those videos. I'll just send them one of these videos. Oh, my God. Please get on this show. Do you know how good I would be at this? You that's what you do all day. So you're very good at it. And I would go in as myself. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. You would, you'd be like, I know. This is my name. <laughs> this is who I am. Oh, my God. It's amazing. There's so many good shows. Which, by the way, have you? did you ever watch Ozark? Did you ever get into it? Do you like shows like that? Like Breaking Bad? Like yes, Crime? I loved Breaking Bad. Okay, you'll like Ozark. Then. I did start Ozark. Okay. And I didn't ever finish it for some reason. I don't know why. 
for some reason, I don't think it held my attention enough in the beginning. Okay, keep watching it. I liked the ending. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. It was very well done. I thought it was a very good show. Everyone, top of their acting game. The girl who plays Ruth, I mean, do we even need to say how fucking incredible she is? She's incredible. It's just a really, really good show. Highly recommend it. And then, um, God, there's, like you said, there's just literally too many shows. Like, it's just so many. Where do we even start? I'll, I, I'll start Candy. I'll let you know. Because I heard okay. it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I really want to watch that. Um, oh, you're watching that one about that doctor. Do you want to oh, plug that one? Yeah, I just started that right before you got to my house. Um, our father. Our father about the fertility doctor Ugh. who only used his sperm to inseminate all of his patients. Honestly, though, I think it's more common than we think it is. I really do. I mean, what are the over? Who are they going to check? I mean, they should be, yes, but I mean, really? Well, you know what? Now we have um, Ancestry DNA and 23andMe. Like, I think they would have to be stupid to do it now because it's so easy to get caught. That's true. Yeah, because they could actually have, like, DNA and go, that's not mine, and that's definitely yours, bud. Yeah, and so they were, he was doing this back in late 1979. Okay. But haven't there been recent cases of some other doctors, or is it because they've recently been brought up on charges from their past? Probably. Okay. Let me know how that show goes, because those are are some of the shows where I'm like, I'm not going to watch it immediately, but if I hear it's good, I'll watch it because somebody else says it's good. You know what I'm saying? I, um... Like, it's just, like, to me, like, ugh, weird. So, this computer guy at work, he was fixing something on my computer, and he was like, hey, so, uh, you watch Netflix? Have you watched Our Father? And then I was like, mm, you like crime stuff? And I wanted to be like, so I have this podcast, but I'm like, mm, can't get the... I can't have that getting out at work. Oh, yeah, because then they might listen, and then hear... Uh-huh. All the shit you've just said about mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, no, I haven't watched that. And he started telling me what it was about. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a true story, right? About that doctor that did the... Did, and it totally went off. And he was like looking at me like, now I'm the creepy one. Yeah. And I'm like, you were just... You're like young enough to be my son. And I'm pretty sure you're hitting on me about a show on Netflix about a fertility doctor that fertilizes semen and patients. Yeah. So who's the creepy one, bro? Right, exactly. Yeah, definitely had some people look at me weird whenever I had a full-on conversation with those Canadian members, ex-members of Nixium. Uh, That was an incredible moment in my life. I literally was talking about the people and Nixium at the top that these people personally knew like I knew them. And they were even like, oh my God, how'd you know that name? And I was like, oh girl. Because I'm over here like, oh hon. Oh no, no, no. I know everything. All about the Keats. All about, like, I was going in. I was like, so did you know about Allison? Did you, like, I asked a billion questions. But yeah, I was definitely, my friends were like, how the fuck do you know these people? I'm like, I don't know them, but I know them. This is our world. This is what we live in. So yeah, true crime, baby. Yeah, I, um... I get it. It got brought up at work one day that I'm scared of clowns. And they were like, I was like, yeah, isn't everybody? Like, I don't understand. Why, why aren't you people scared of clowns? And they're like, because they're clowns. Like, what is your problem? Like, why, what is your, I was like, I'm sorry. All I'm going to say is John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. And they were like, what are you talking about? And this one girl goes, what are you talking about? Who's John Wayne Gacy? I go, oh my God, who is John Wayne Gacy? I was like, first of all, he worked as a clown. He was a serial killer. He abducted young boys, murdered them, buried them in the crawl space under his house. What do you mean? Who is John Wayne Gacy? And then everybody looked at me like I was the weird one for knowing all that. Yeah, it's weird that you don't know who that is. Sorry. (laughs) I mean... You know, it, I'm with you. And I said it just like that. Yeah. Like, I was, like, dying because... I mean, because honestly, let's go here. Even if you aren't a true crime fan, a lot of people aren't. They still know the name. Exactly right. It's like, 
Dahmer and Bundy and all of those. Like that's kind of a, it's yeah. a name that yeah you know you at least know he yeah. killed people at the very yeah. minimum. I was, yeah, I was just beside. I'm still beside myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads me to the person we're going to do today. Which tell me if you've heard of him, John Wayne Gacy. Yes. <laughs> Keith Jesperson, the happy face killer. Yes, I've heard of the happy face killer. Okay. So this guy, I have heard this case twice now. One from MFM, one from Last Podcast on Left. And every time I run across this case, I'm like, what's the big deal about this guy? Like, who gives a flying fuck, essentially, about this right. guy? And why is he called the happy face killer and all this stuff? And for some reason, I feel like he should have been set... His timeline should have been set back in the 70s, not the 90s whenever this happened. Right. It just feels very much more like that time frame, but Mm -hmm. it's not. So I just think this entire case is very strange. And there's even these side quests that happen during the case that, let me get into it. It's very weird. You know how you know she's the nerdy ones? Because she calls them side quests. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Keith Hunter Jesperson was born in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. Didn't mean to do another Canadian. It literally happened. I actually thought he was from the U.S., but he is actually Canadian. Well, if you follow us on Twitter, you will know that our Canadian friends told us Canada is nothing but a vast wasteland where you can hide dead bodies. Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. Um, Disturbingly pragmatic. Highly recommend them. We love them. Definitely listen to that podcast. So he was born on April 6, 1955. He's an Aries and was the middle child of two brothers and two sisters. So he got middle child disease. always the middle children. Did Mm -hmm. he hit his head? I don't know, but... Did he wet the bed? (gasps) He wet the bed. No. Oh. As is tradition in households of killers, his father was an abusive alcoholic who inherited from his father. Keith was teased and left out in his own family, as well as from the kids at school, because he was 6'8". Ooh. Yeah. He got that torture. Poor guy. Mm, That's terrible. He was lonely and tortured and killed animals as a child, which is number one on the McDonald triad. Well, yeah. So he got that part of it. So he got the abuse. He got the physical abuse. He got the alcoholic father. And then he got the, I'm going to take my rage out on animals. When you were a kid and you were playing with your friends during the summer in Texas, mm-hmm. June bugs, remember? Yep, June bugs. Did y'all pull the legs off? No, we used to throw them on the ground. You pick them up and you just throw them as hard as you can on the ground. We pulled their legs off. You pulled your legs off. Horrible things. I cannot believe I did that. We would also catch lightning bugs. And put them in a bottle? Yes, or we would smush their butts on our shirts so our shirts would glow. Yep, we would do that on our arms. Oh yeah again why the hell it was so mean but i'm just trying to make sure i'm not a serial killer no god no but would you do that to like a cat no exactly and not saying it's good to do to bugs either but he was doing this to like cats and dogs he would just torture and kill them just to see what would happen i was just gauging to see like if other children did those weird things to bugs and stuff (laughs) like you know the what is it, magnifying glass with an ant pile mm-hmm. and things? Yeah, a lot of kids, when we were growing up, would do that, yeah. Yeah. At age 12, his family moved to Canada, from Canada, sorry, to Selah, Washington in the States, where this behavior continued. They lived in a trailer park, and he said that his dad was proud of him for doing these horrible things to animals, but then would be violently beaten for committing violent acts or getting in trouble. So, it's like he's getting told two things. Like, his dad's like, way to go, hurting those animals, which, ew. But then his dad would go around and beat him for getting in trouble for then doing violence against others. So, it's like, which is it? Are you mad at me for hurting animals or are you not? But then also, he's getting in trouble for being violent. Right. And being punished with for, more for violence. Violent by being vi- Exactly. So, violence, violence, violence. It's like, this is all bad. Throughout his childhood, there stewed a rage that led him to attempting to kill his friend Martin at age 10. They used to play together and sometimes get in trouble and catch a beating from his dad. 
Keith said that Martin was the cause of most of the times he got in trouble. So they would be playing and then Martin would do something bad and then Keith would get in trouble for it by his dad. So Keith was pissed at Martin. At one point, he was like beating up Martin and his dad pulled him off of his friend. He later said that he actually wanted to kill Martin in that moment. Another time, when he was around 11, he held another boy's head underwater at a lake until he blacked out. And then he tried the same thing to another boy at a pool until a lifeguard pushed him off the kid. So he's now attempting, he's, he's doing that thing like, I just want to see what happens if, or yeah. when I do this thing. Yeah. Like, you remember the movie The Good Son? Oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah, I remember that. Watch that movie, everybody, if you haven't seen it. It's young Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood. Very good movie. Good study into sociopathy and psychopathy, I think. And really kind of like shows you like the dead inside child trope that a lot of these guys have. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing I thought of when I thought of this. I was like, oh my God, it's like the movie. So there is a generational pattern here of violence. According to the University of Barcelona in a 2018 Science Daily article, quote, the origins of the violent behavior are multifactorial Uh, factorial and respond to the interaction of several factors biological cultural social etc which can modify the expression of the human behavior now an international study has identified 40 genes that related to aggressive behavior in humans and mice so in other words keith had the perfect margarita mix of both you know nature and nurture that would make him into a killer yeah and now we know that genetics actually does have a lot to do with it. So his grandpa being violent, his dad being violent, and him being violent all makes sense. Yeah. He graduated high school in 1973 at 18, and because his dad didn't believe he could, he skipped college. So his dad said, you're not smart enough to go to college, so he didn't oh, go. Okay. I was thinking, because he didn't believe he could skip college? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I wrote that weird. His dad should have been brought up on charges, I think, for abuse um, for many different reasons. But ugh, just it was the 50s and 60s. That's how you raise children. Yeah, there was no abuse back then. No. Surprise, surprise. Keith wasn't great with girls through the years. So it wasn't until after high school when he started dating. He met Rose Huck and they married in 1975 when he was 20. They went on to have three kids, two girls and a boy. How old was she when they got married? You know, I couldn't find that out. I, I, it sounds like she was around the same age. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he settled into married life, took a truck driving job to support them, and this job would help him commit murders and get away with it. Rose suspected at one point that he was cheating after random women would call the house, and this behavior went on for a while, to the point that it didn't help their relationship. It started to become really strained. These incidents, and with Keith being out of town all the time due to being a truck driver, really strained it. And then in 1990, when they were, uh, when he was 35, they divorced. Rose was done, took the kids, and bounced to Spokane, Washington to live with her parents, which, good job. <laughs> with his family out of the way, he could now start killing. So the first woman we actually know about was in January 1990 near Portland, Oregon. He took a woman named Tonja Bennett to his rental house after they met at a local bar, took her back to his place. He strangled her with a rope and disposed of her body later. She was found days later, but her identity has not been solved till this day. Um, But people were implicated for her murder. John Sosnowski and Laverne Pavlinak said that they had killed her. Hmm. And this is where the story takes a weird-ass turn. Laverne Pavlinak was born December 19, 1932 in Marshland, Oregon, and worked as an aide in the state hospital. On February 5, 1990, a woman called the police saying that she overheard at the bar where Tonja was last seen a man bragging about murdering her. That man's name was John Sovznoski. Now get this, because his name was originally misspelled in the police report that they wrote down 
taking the phone call, no cops went to see if the story was true. My guess is, again, this is in 90s, so we're still, we're, we're just now getting databases, mm-hmm. you know? It, it basically, maybe because of the misspelling, he didn't come up in the database, or they didn't match him to a file or something, but the point is, they wrote the name down wrong, they didn't go investigate to see if this was actually the case. So a week later, the same woman called back, the cops wrote the name down right this time, And then the cops showed up at John's door. Okay. Through some information gathered from John's parole officer. So the reason why they were able to find out where he lived was because he had previous DUIs. Mm -hmm. Okay. They figured out that the lady on the phone calling to say John Sovnowski had killed Tonja was actually Laverne. And that Laverne and John were dating. Okay, so you follow me there? So Laverne is dating John, and she's calling the cops on his ass, saying that he murdered this girl whom was at the bar, like every, basically saying that he had done this entire crime, and she was calling to turn him in. Okay. So Laverne went through the whole rigmarole. She went to the station. They were interviewed separately, asking how they did it. They even took Laverne to the crime scene where she literally pointed exactly, exactly at the spot where Tanja's body was found in the woods, Mm -hmm. which is extremely hard to do, even like having like an ancillary knowledge of the case. So the cops were like, huh, there's something here, which, yeah, if I were a cop, I'd be like, holy crap, this lady knows exactly all of these details and she's turning in her boyfriend. Right. Right. Okay. This is all matching up. So they started investigating John. But the problem is the evidence and the story she's presenting about, essentially it was this convoluted like, first it was he lured her back to their place and murdered her. And she she was threatened with, I'm going to kill you too if you say anything. Mm-hmm. Then it's, oh, I helped him out. Then it's, I mean, her story kept changing. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't matching up to the crime scene or the evidence. And they're like, this is weird. So long story short, John was arrested and so was Laverne. Mm. And now she's like, oh, shit. So they go to trial. She recanted her confession in the trial. Okay. And they have this entire thing happening. And they, it's, it's kind of crazy because Keith is watching all of this happen on the news. Mm-hmm. And so... Keith, at this time, must have felt invincible, thinking, oh, sick. These people are going down for the crime I committed. Hell yeah. Right, right, right. So much so that he wrote the police and media letters, signed with a happy face, and even allegedly wrote this confession on a rest stop bathroom wall, quote, I killed Tanya Bennett January 21st, 1990, in Portland, Oregon. I beat her to death, raped her, and I loved it. Yes, I'm sick, but I enjoyed myself, too. People took the blame, and I'm free. Hmm. So... Even though the cops are getting these messages from him, you know, mm-hmm. it didn't help their case because Laverne was convicted of Tonja's murder and sentenced to life. John pled no contest because he's not a fucking idiot mm-hmm. and received the same sentence. These people didn't commit the crime, were, but were convicted of it, leaving Keith to continue doing what he was doing. Wow. Yeah, dude. This is why you keep your mouth shut, everyone, and all you say is, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. Or also, don't call the cops on your boyfriend. Yeah. Don't make shit up. Mm. August 30th, 1992, a woman's body was found near Blythe, California. She had been raped and strangled to death and tied with duct tape. To this day, she has not been identified. Cynthia Lynn Rose Wilcox was murdered in August 1992 as well, but Keith said later that he didn't kill her, but he killed another woman after seeing her crime scene photos. November 1992, Lori Ann Pentland met him at his truck stop, and and he gave her money for her business, and that business was sex work. Keith said that they haggled with the price because she was trying to double her fee, and threatened to call the cops on him. So, you know, he had to strangle her to death. Of course, that's how that's how you solve problems. Yeah, of course. Merced County, California, June 3rd, 1993. Patricia Skipple's body was found. And it 
This was another woman that he had met at a truck stop. Cops had originally thought that she died of an overdose, but then realized that they had another murder. September 1994, another unidentified woman's body was found in Florida. To this day, she is still unknown. And she was identified as one of his victims only because of the tie wraps around her neck. Keith then met Angela Subrize. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her name right, in Spokane, Washington, at a bar in January 1995, and she took a ride home from him in his truck to go to Indiana. So she was like basically saying, hey, if you don't mind, I'm actually on my way here. Can you drop me off? Keith said that they got into a fight because she wouldn't let him sleep, and that he let her use his credit card, so he just had to rape and strangle her. And then... Uh, this is a horrible detail, so feel free to skip this. He then strapped her body to the underside of the truck and dragged it face down as he drove to make her unidentifiable. Ugh, they didn't find her body until after he was arrested in Nebraska, but she was probably killed in Wyoming. Oh, That's how far and how long that body was underneath his truck. So, during this time, somehow he found the time to get a girlfriend. Who? Uh, he was dating a woman named Julie Winningham. And Julie would be his undoing. He somehow got into his head that all she wanted was his money. So, guess what? He has to get rid of her. Of course, because that's what you have to do. Naturally, I have to. I mean, I just, I mean, you just have to. He got after the. Let's see here. Okay, after the cops found her body, so I don't know what happened to her, but we can assume it's the same as everybody else that he killed. They immediately went to Keith's store because. That's the obvious, the boyfriend, right? They questioned him, but they couldn't get enough on him to arrest him, so they had to let him go. He went home and thinking, okay, this is it. I'm going to get caught. He tried to kill himself twice, rationalizing that he would get a lighter sentence because he was so distraught that he tried to kill himself over what he had done. Oh, my God. He wrote a letter to his brother confessing to killing eight people across five years, which was given to the cops because, of course, it was. And even other states tried to link him to some of their open cases after receiving this letter going, okay, maybe he did some of these other crimes, but they weren't able to positively identify him as the killer for any other crime. After he was arrested, after turning himself in, on March 95. Again, I'm thinking he's turning himself in thinking, I'm going to get a lenient sentence. I'm going to get a better sentence. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, has nothing to do with victims or anything like that. It's all about him. He pulled a Henry Lee Lucas and said he had actually killed 185 people, but only eight women have been officially confirmed. He killed in California, Florida, Nebraska, Wyoming, Oregon, and Washington. He told ABC News that the murders, quote, became a nonchalant type thing because I got away with it. It is everything like shoplifting. You're breaking the law, but you're getting away with it. And so there's a thrill of getting away with it. It's just a moment in time where situations present themselves and you become what you are. I'm sorry it happened. I wish it never happened. It's done. It's over with. And you know, whoopsies. Oops. I mean, I didn't mean to. I mean, and also, you know, she was trying to double charge me. So, I mean... You gotta kill her then. Yeah, how dare she? <laughs> Sarcasm, if you can't tell. He thought similarly to Gary Ridgway, obviously, and that he was putting each victim, quote, out of her misery. And just a real quick side note. Not all the women were sex workers that he killed. He killed them because... He killed sex workers specifically when he had the chance because, you know, they're, like, the less dead. They're not going to be investigated. People don't know where they are, so they're not going to be missed or reported immediately, all that crap that we know, unfortunately. Um, but it's it was literally a crime of opportunity. He used the truck driving job. It's the perfect way to get away with it because you're out of the state within a couple hours. No one's going to know. And then 
there's just this body on the side of the road and no connection to you. So it makes total sense. Yep. Keith was given multiple life sentences and even had to be extradited from Oregon to California to serve his sentence in 2009. He was given another life sentence for another murder in 2010, and he is currently 66 years old in Oregon, rotting in prison. Thank God. His daughter, Melissa, said, quote, what really stood out to me about my father is that once he killed Tonja Bennett, it's like he got a taste for blood and power and control that he's probably never had in his life, and that excited him. So much so that he seemed to start killing very rapidly again after Tonja. I believed he would be killing more women, she said, like, if he were out of prison. And that's his own daughter. I mean, she's not wrong. No, she's not. She said that he was actually a great dad. He would tell her bedtime stories, tuck her in at night, and... From what I understand, he actually wasn't violent with his family, which, thank God. I mean, that's a small blessing through this whole horrendous story. But it just goes to show you that he was really able to compartmentalize his childhood, his family life, and then his murder spree. And that's so weird. It's very common, though. They're literally able to put these walls in between those people. Well, when I say that's so weird, I mean, it's so weird that that's... That your brain can work like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, for instance, like, let's actually go back to Gacy. Gacy's a perfect example of compartmentalizing so much that he had to call the person who killed the boys a different name. I can't remember the name he had for the part of him that killed those boys, but that's how far removed he was from that part of himself. It's crazy. She said, um... That after her parents' divorce, that's when things went really wrong. Some believe this is why he started his crime spree. Basically saying, like, fuck it, you know? Like, I'm mad at my wife. I'm pissed that she divorced me. Whatever. I'm going to take it on all these women. Yeah. Or I'd like to think maybe this was, like, finally. Now I can do what I've always wanted to do. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Or maybe... He just felt like he was so angry at her for leaving him. He saw his wife and all the women he murdered, Mm -hmm. and that's who he was really murdering. Yeah, absolutely. That's another great possibility. So what about Laverne and John, who got convicted of Tonja Bennett's murder? Yes, what about them? After Keith was convicted, the prosecutors in each of their cases spoke to a judge to exonerate them, obviously, of their wrongful conviction. And they were exonerated November 27th, 1995. They served four years for a crime they didn't commit. Happens every day, everyone. And people die, too. So, it's crazy. Now, why the hell did Laverne do this? This is where I was like, why would you ever do this? According to Laverne, She was desperate to leave John because of physical abuse, and she accidentally got caught up in her lies. Whether or not this is true does not excuse what she not only did to John, but to herself, and I wish she would have reached out to someone to help her because she might have saved some of these women's lives. Yeah, maybe. Like, I don't blame her, but I also am like, girl, you did not help anything. You can't lie about people like that. Everyone, you... Don't do this. Also, lying like this is not the answer. No. Please get out of the situation. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. If you can. So, on that note, this whole horrendous case stems around domestic violence and the cancer that it truly is. I mean, it can spread, obviously, from generation to generation, genetically and emotionally. And through learned behavior, it creates ripples of trauma felt by everyone around the situation. So this week, I'd like to highlight the domestic violence hotline. It's 800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. I'm going to include a link on our blog to their site. And honestly, like when doing the research for this, I, you know, we go to all these websites to look up more about them. On the splash page, the very first page you see, mm-hmm. this is the quote. 
At this time, we are experiencing unusually high call slash chat volume. Wait times to connect with our live advocates may be longer than 15 minutes. According to the American Journal of Emergency Medicine, DV cases rose 25 to 33% globally during the pandemic, with people being trapped in their homes with an abusive partner. So if you or anyone you love is experiencing this, or even if you suspect it, please reach out to that hotline for help. And we love you, cunties. We really just want you all to stay safe. That's why we provide this information. But this is a pattern that can be broken, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Which it sounds like he started to with his family. But unfortunately, he made the choice to go down the other path. Mm-hmm. So stay safe out there, y'all. Please reach out to your friends and family, too, especially if you suspect they may not be in a good situation. Right, and help them get out of the situation. Absolutely. It's a very, it's also hard because, you know, there's some places, some parts where you can't. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, it's so hard. Yeah. Who do you have for Trophy Dad? uh, So I think you're going to like this one. You're going to like it. So I have James Mott. Mott. The applesauce guy? Nope. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. So he was born into a Quaker family in Long Island in 1788. Ooh, I like Quakers. So James um, became a teacher at the Nine Partner School in Poughkeepsie, New York, where his father was the superintendent. And this is where he met his more famous wife, Lucretia Coffinmott, who, um, she was a student, and then she became a teacher's aide there. They got married in Philly on April 10th, 1811. Wow. They had six children total, four daughters and one son that actually lived to adulthood. So James, um, he became a partner with his father-in-law in a nail firm. And in 1822, after surviving in the War of 1812... And the panic of the eighteen, the panic of eighteen nineteen, James became a textile merchant selling cotton cloth. James and Lucretia they became Hicksite Quakers, and Hicksite Quakers frowned upon any connection to the slave trade. Mm-hmm. So James gave up his trade of cotton textiles, and by eighteen thirty, he had transitioned into selling woolen textiles which were produced free of any slave labor. That is very progressive for that time. Mm-hmm. That's why I like Quakers, man. I'm telling you. I mean... Them oats. <laughs> they, got, <laughs> they got a whole backstory. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so James was active, very active in the anti-slave movement, and he was also involved in many of the same events and conventions that Lucretia was involved in. So together, they formed the Philadelphia Free Produce Society, which encouraged the establishment of free produce stores that sold products that were made free of slave labor and helped to educate the public about the boycott. That's incredible. This is the 18, early 1800s? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. I know. I know. They're amazing. I love them. And they're white? These people are white. Because... They had to have been because they wouldn't have been free. Okay. Because, like, I mean, at the time, I'm thinking, like, Sojourner Truth. You know, um, Frederick Douglass. All black orders and former slaves that, you know, obviously are standing up for their people. To have a white person come across the aisle was, oh, yeah. Yeah, was a big deal back in the day. So, wow, I'm genuinely impressed. So, in 1848, both Lucretia and James, both of them, were an integral part in planning and hosting the first 
Women's Rights Convention <gasps> held in Seneca Falls, New York on July 19th and July 20th. I love these people even more. Yes, that's right. James was an integral part of the first Women's Rights Convention. Mm, and they're feminists? Get out of here. I'm loving them. So Lucretia was the speaker at the convention and James chaired the convention on the first day and part of the second day. This is the only women's rights convention to ever have a male chair. Which, honestly, there needs to be more men who stand with us. Let's go, boys. So, James was also one of the founders of Swarthmore College in 1864. This was one of the nation's first co-educational colleges. Wow. Oh, so they were male. They were gendered at the time. Yes. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Huh. So throughout their marriage, James encouraged Lucretia's activities as an abolitionist and a woman's rights advocate. So he stood behind her, encouraged her, joined her to fight for these things. And also used the fact that he was a man to highlight her, which at the time, male landowners were the people who held the vote. So the fact that he was like, I'm going to step aside and let my my wife speak here. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. So James died of pneumonia in Brooklyn in 1868. Honey. And he was buried at um, the Fair Hill Burial Ground in Philly. But James is my trophy dad because, A, he was an abolitionist. B, he was a feminist and a woman's right advocate. And he didn't... um, Push his wife down. Mm-hmm. He lifted her up in a time when women were less than. He not only made her his equal, he lifted her up past him. Mm-hmm. And, then, and encouraged it mm-hmm. and supported her and believed in all the things she believed in. So that's why James is my trophy dad. That is a phenomenal trophy dad. I have never heard of Mr. Mott. And we must thank him for his applesauce as well. Thank you. I'm sure it's not the same person. I want it to be. He was into textiles, not apples. (laughs) But what's cool is he died in 1868, which means he got to see the end of the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation happen before he died, which is good. Because I'm sure that that was something, I mean, it was near and dear to his heart as well. I had never heard of Mr. Mott before. Of course, we've never heard of Mr. Mott before. I know. Why would we learn about him in school? That would be absolutely ridiculous. Also, can we talk about the name Lucretia and how fucking awesome it is? So, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. You are, yeah. Let me spell it for you. It is L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A. Yeah, Lucretia. Mm Mm-hmm. Names like that need to come back. Like those old gothic names, like those romantic period names from the 1700s. Oh, I love it. I like um, Ruby, Pearl, mm-hmm. um, Mabel. Oh, do you like flower names too? Like people named after flowers, like Peony, Violet, um, um, Rose. I'm not a big fan of Rose. Or Daisy. Maybe like, um, I don't know. Yeah. I know what you mean, though. Some of these old school names, they're actually Violet. Some, I, Violet. Yeah, Violet I, was good. Yeah. 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 But I have no idea. That's so cool. What a great trophy, Dad. Well done. I like to bring you a little bit of history. Yeah, that was great. I had no idea. So I, you know, ever since we found out you were like kind of nerdy, right? <laughs> I've been teasing you about it, but here in my family, we're kind of like history nerdy. We kind of like history here in my house. That's great. I think everyone's nerdy in their own way. And I kind of like history. Like how many people have I done that had to do with history? I teach you things. You do. You have taught me a lot about history. I think one of my favorites was... um, I can't remember her first name. Miss White from Louisiana. Oh, gosh. I know you're talking about. Can't remember the episode. Y'all help us. Go back, listen to all our episodes, and let us know. Mm-hmm. Let us know which one. Because, <laughs> oh, my God. Because we're not pulling up the spreadsheet. Nope. And the other thing is, is I forgot what I said five minutes ago. 
Yep. So, whoops. <laughs> Sorry. I have brain lesions. And I just don't pay attention. Well, on that note. <laughs> she drinks a lot of tequila. Oh, my God. I sleep a lot. I think I lose brain cells when I sleep. That's my problem. I don't know. Maybe. That's the opposite of how science works. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. On that note. <laughs> we'll you see go. you next Tuesday. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.